Hello and welcome to the Greenfield Baptist Sermons Podcast. Each week we will be uploading the Focus Scripture and Sermon from Greenfield Baptist Church in Northeast Pennsylvania. Thank you for joining us and enjoy. Guys, if you have your own Bible, if you have BYOB, brought your own Bible, or if you need to borrow a pew Bible to grab one now. I'd like to read this together. As I was reading through this psalm, I was, I was trying to think of, how do I want to go about this psalm? How do I want to preach on it? And if you guys think about the Bible, there's a lot going on there, right? It's 66 books by, I think, over 30 authors. Uh, there are all kinds of different contexts. There's all different kinds of things going on throughout the Bible. And as I read this one, I was trying to figure out, well, what's going on beforehand? What's going on afterwards? And it, it felt to me like there was a little chunk where there were four or five psalms that felt like it made a story. And as you, as you went through it, you could see this progression of things changing. This month, we've been going through different psalms of David in different times of his life and reflecting on how we can bring praise in the different things we have going on in life. And here in this little chunk of like 35 or 36 through 40, we see this progression of David running from his enemies and seeking the Lord and feeling despair, feeling this just heaviness of the Lord's hand in his life. And then in Psalm 40, I don't want to give any spoilers. If you're not familiar with Psalm 40, go home and read it today afterwards. Psalm 40 is super awesome. Um, God bless you. God bless you. But today we're in Psalm 39. Today we're in the heavy part. It reminded me a lot of Ecclesiastes, which is why I played that video earlier. If you weren't paying attention, he talked about how life sometimes feels meaningless. It feels absurd. It feels frustrating. And that's kind of where David is in this psalm. So let's start in verse 1. I said, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. But when I was silent and still, not even saying anything good, my anguish increased. My heart grew hot within me, and as I meditated, the fire burned. Then I spoke with my tongue. Show me, Lord, my life's end and the number of my days. Let me know how fleeting My life is. You have made my days a mere handbreadth. The span of my years is as nothing before you. Each man's life is but a breath. Man is a mere phantom as he goes to and fro. He bustles about, but only in vain. He keeps up wealth, not knowing who will get it. But now, Lord, what do I look for? My hope is in you. Save me from all my transgressions. Do not make me the scorn of fools. I was silent. I would not open my mouth, for you are the one who has done this. Remove your scourge from me. I am overcome by the blow of your hand. When you rebuke and discipline men for their sin, you consume their wealth like a moth. Each man is but a breath. Hear my prayer, Lord. Listen to my cry for help. 
Do not be deaf to my weeping. I dwell with you as an alien, a stranger, as all my fathers were. Look away from me that I may rejoice again before I depart and am no more. God, we thank you. And again, thank you for letting us come, letting us praise you, letting us bring our request before you, and let us boldly approach your throne with the confidence we have knowing that Christ is the high priest of heaven. Amen. All right. Kids, you can skedaddle. People who wish they were kids, park it. I mean, it's a sitting order because I told you to sit down. Uh, good morning. Boy, God is good, huh? Mm-hmm. Uh, boy, as I was as I was thinking about this, remember how I said that there was like a, a chunk of like four or five psalms. I was thinking it might be fun to mix it up and to just read through them, but I also didn't want to insult your intelligence because you guys probably know how to read. So while I definitely appreciate the public reading of, um, of God's Word, and there's a lot of biblical precedents for that, right? Moses went through the whole law, which I cannot imagine what that was like. Um, I didn't want to make you guys feel like, boy, I could have gone home and read this all by myself. I'm a big boy. I'm a big girl. I know how to read. So I opted not to do that. But I really, really want to encourage you guys to go and read Psalm like 35, 36 through 40 as like a little chunk. They're all pretty short. You could do it in 10, 15 minutes, even if you're a slow reader. Um, and I really encourage you just kind of sitting in that little pocket in the Psalms. Uh, it's good stuff. It's good stuff. But we are sitting in the bad portion of this good stuff. 38, 39, and the beginning of 40 are all pretty down in the dumps. David is not a happy camper. So let's get into it. Verse 1, it says, I will watch my ways and keep my tongue from sin. I will put a muzzle on my mouth while in the presence of the wicked. So when I think of muzzles, I think of putting a muzzle on a big old dog. So whether it's like a police dog and they are... Um, you know, still in the back of the canine vehicle and they're, you know, about to take down somebody or whether they're, you know, about to, you know, go off and try and find the trail of somebody who's missing or, or whatever. That's kind of what I picture. Or like a really bad misbehaving dog. There's sometimes where I want to put a muzzle on my dog just because she barks at like everything. The mailman, the UPS guy, somebody like, you know, Jody's coming in the church and she's cooking in the kitchen. When, when she parks her little Kia back by the kitchen, you would think that, that somebody was coming into the house with an axe and a ski mask. And I'm like, dog, it's Jody. She comes here like twice a month. It's okay. I promise. There were Boy Scouts here yesterday. Oh, man. Heaven forbid the Boy Scouts come to do their Pine Box Derby in the church. David put, said that he put a muzzle on himself. Now, this is probably figurative. I have a feeling he didn't put some kind of head mechanism so that he wouldn't open his mouth. But 
it reminded me of the old adage, if you don't have anything nice to say, don't say it. He was saying, I kept my mouth from sinning. I kept it closed. Now, that sounds like a good thing, but when we get into verse 2, we see that it's not really a good thing. He says, I was mute and silent. I refrained even from good, and my sorrow grew worse. He's got all of these different emotions going on, good, bad, and different, and he's just suppressing it all. He's holding it in, and that's not good for you. I know that the world kind of wants you... <laughs> boy, oh boy, only me, right? <laughs> oh, I'm glad I didn't knock over the holy hubcaps. I probably shouldn't call them that, but I look at them and I see all the little holes in them, and that's what I, that's what I think of. Sorry. <laughs> all right, well, <laughs> anyway. Uh, oh, actually, this kind of ties in well with what I was saying. The world wants you to think... Or the, world, the world wants you to think that you should always be kind of like composed, that you need to be very austere, that you need to be stoic. When something really bad happens, you need to be calm, you need to be chill, you need to have it put together. When you're super happy and you're like ready to burst at the seams, you still need to like kind of keep calm because don't rock the boat, whether it's good or bad. God wants us to experience emotions. There's a reason he gave them to us. I don't know if you remember that little snippet from um, the video yesterday, um, or yesterday, last week, I had a, a little boy up there, uh, I, his YouTube name is Kid President, and he was talking about all the things that he's thankful for, and one of the things he listed was he was thankful for being sad because it helps us to recognize what's important in life. Wow, that's a pretty deep truth. He was thankful for being sad because of the perspective it gave him on what is important in life. God gives us all of these emotions, and he doesn't want us to just bottle them up and suppress them. And that's what David was doing. He was refraining from even saying the good things. So I want to encourage you not to suppress those things. It's okay to have emotion. You're supposed to. God didn't make us robots. Verse 3, it says, My heart was hot within me while I was musing, the fire burned, and then I spoke with my tongue. So it was boiling up inside of him. Couldn't hold it back anymore. He was ready to go. He was ready to speak. He was ready to say something. I want to encourage you when you experience emotion like that, especially if you've been bottling it up. Now, don't let it out in a fit of rage but express yourself. It's okay to express those feelings. Speak the truth even when or even if your voice shakes. It's okay to have and experience and express those emotions. So this is what he says. Remember, he's, he's feeling all these things bottled up inside of him, and he's, he's ready to speak. So he speaks to the Lord. He cries out. He gives this prayer. Lord, make me to know my end, and what is the extent of my days? Let me know how transient 
I am. Behold, you have made my days as hand breadths, like hand widths, uh, and my lifetime as nothing in your sight. Surely every man at his best is a mere breath. When I read that verse with the hand breadths thing, I immediately thought of horses. Connie, how do you measure how tall a horse is? In hands. So that's what he's saying. My life is something that could be measured like a horse. It's not, it's not this everlasting thing. A hand is only so big. Now, I don't know what the actual standard measurement, like how many inches a hand is when it comes to horses. Four? Okay. So I, I, don't, I didn't know that part. I just knew that when you talk about how tall a horse is, you measure it in hands. Our life is something that is not really all that long. And David here is saying, God, help me to see that. Help me to recognize that perspective. Help me to remember how short life is. It really reminded me a lot of Ecclesiastes. That's why I threw that little video in there talking about that idea of meaningless, of absurdity, as, as he rephrased it. I know it was hard to see up on the screen. I didn't realize it was going to be like that. I might have edited the video a little bit. But when the screen went black, there was actually a mist. There was a vapor there, because that is what that word literally means when translated. It's, it's a vapor. It's a mist. It's something that you can't hold. You can't really chase after it. You can't gather it. Reminds me of a really tacky joke. I tried to catch a cloud, but I missed it. <laughs> Thanks. Ah, I'm glad you appreciated that. Yeah, dust in the wind. That's true. These are things that we can't really catch. We can't really pursue them. And in a similar way, our life is like that. You can't you can't just gather it up and keep it. And it only lasts for so long. David continues, Surely every man walks about as a phantom. Surely they make an uproar for nothing. He amasses riches and does not know who will gather them. He's recognizing that there are so many things in our life that we can't control. When you're dead, yeah, you, have a, you, you will probably have a will and testament to say, okay, my car is going to go to my brother Louie, and the house is going to go to my wife or my kids, and you know, most of my financial assets are going to be divvied up such and such a way. You know, my wife gets half, my kids get a fourth, whatever. But really, once you're dead, you can't be sitting there and say, ah, 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 you can't have that, that's not for you. You're dead. That's it. And how they use those things, you also have no control of. Because you're too busy being dead. <laughs> well, <laughs> I mean, you'll be, you'll, if your faith is in Jesus, you will, be, you will be busy. You will be rejoicing and bowing down before the throne of the Lord. And now, Lord, for what do I wait? What am I holding on for? 
Why am I pushing forward? My hope is in you. This is the only note of hope we see in this psalm, is this little sentence. My hope is in you. He recognizes in the midst of all of this that that is what he needs. That is what he is seeking after. He's holding on for the Lord. He's waiting for the Lord and his deliverance. He hasn't seen it yet. In a similar way, our hope is not something that we have. Our hope is something that we strive for, right? It's something that we we are waiting on. It We know that God is going to deliver it. And whether or not it has been delivered yet is to be seen. We are hoping for this thing that we don't yet have, but it's in sight. Or maybe our hope is something that we haven't even seen yet, right? Maybe we just have to wait in faith. But David is recognizing in this hopeless situation that there is a hope to be had in God. He says, deliver me from all my transgressions. Make me not the reproach of the foolish. I have become mute. I do not open my mouth because it is you who have done this. Remove your plague from me. Because of the opposition of your hand, I am perishing. Usually when we think of the hand of God, we think of good things, right? We think of whether it's that painting of uh, the creation of Adam, where he's, you know, like leaning out like this down on the cloud, and Adam's leaning up like this, and, right? Or we think of God reaching into our lives and doing something positive. Well, here... David's saying, I feel like, I have, like your hand is oppressing me. I feel like your hand is weighing down on my life. Whether this is a moment of conviction or whether this is a moment of fear, he's not saying that he's receiving something exciting from the hand of God. He feels this weight, this burden. Now before this, he says, Deliver me from my transgressions. So I'm thinking that this is a moment of conviction in sin. Like he feels the guilt, the weight, the sorrow tied in with recognizing the things that he's done wrong in his life. Maybe the situation he's waiting to be delivered from was his own doing. You ever put yourself in a bad situation? Yeah? I think we all have at some point or other, right? Nobody's perfect. I, uh, I almost blew up my grandparents' house once. I was, I was real little, like, like a toddler. It was supposed to be nap time. Mom went to go check the mail, um, and she was working on fixing their riding lawnmower. In order to repair said lawnmower, it had to be tipped on its side, and the only way to do that safely was to drain the fuel. So the fuel was in one of those big canisters, um, and... Her mailbox was, I don't know, 50 yards from the garage. So it wasn't that far, but it was far enough that it it would take a minute to go get the mail, you know, probably leaf through the letters and get back into the garage. Well, during that time, I had decided nap time was over. 
And I had I'd gone into the garage to explore. And I encountered this jug. And when my mom came back, I was wearing a decent amount of gasoline. And there was gasoline all over the floor. And I looked at my mom and I said, I just thirsty, mom. She was terrified. Now, I did not drink the gasoline, though. That might explain a few things if I had. <laughs> However, it was spilling across the floor, and it was going towards the drain, and they lived on a property with a well, and their hot water tank was also in the garage. And if you know things about hot water tanks, they, if they are naturally gas-powered, have a pilot light. And with gasoline, what's flammable? The fumes. Well, yeah, but it's the fumes. Theoretically, you could put out a match by pouring it on the match. It's the fumes. So my mom called 911, and the hazmat team and the fire department came, and the police department came and closed down the road, and they were worried that it was going to be like Mythbusters where the hot water tank goes, you know, it was, yeah, it was not a, it was not a good thing. Probably wouldn't have the hot water tank. Probably not. Well... Either way, that's not, a, that's not a good thing. That's not something you want. <laughs> that was a situation that I had put myself into. Now, I didn't recognize the gravity of the situation. I was a toddler. And gasoline smells cool. That's, that's really what happened there. But boy, we put ourselves into some precarious situations sometimes. And we think, oh Lord, deliver me from my own stupidity, please. With reproofs, you chasten a man for iniquity. You consume as a moth what is precious to him. Surely every man is a mere breath. David is saying, God, sometimes you afflict those you love to teach them a lesson because we are knuckleheads, because we do make these mistakes. He chastens who he loves, church. So when you feel that conviction of the Holy Spirit, that's not a bad thing. It means that he wants to teach you because he loves you. It means he wants you to grow because he loves you. Hear my prayer, O Lord, and give ear to my cry. Do not be silent at my tears, for I am a stranger with you, a sojourner like all of my father's. Turn your gaze away from me that I may smile again before I depart and am no more. He's feeling a lot of grief in this passage. He feels like it's too heavy for him. And he's asking God to turn his gaze away from him. It reminds me a little bit of another psalm. Psalm 139, there is nowhere where we can go where the Lord wouldn't see us. He saw us before we were even born, before we were even formed. David knows that, but he's just feeling so heavy, so weighed down, and it's overwhelming Now, I thought, one, this picture was kind of funny because it's a frog in an astronaut costume, and that's just kind of unconventional. But two, he's got a big frown on. He's looking pretty glum. David was not a happy camper. He was feeling 
he was feeling down in the dumps. But he recognized, in spite of all of this, that there was hope in God. That there was hope to be found in this hopeless situation. I really encourage you guys to go and read Psalm 40. In the very least, after this. Here, I'll, pl- I'll pluck out one verse from it for you. It's a little bit of a spoiler. A little bit of a spot. I could have grabbed my Bible off the stage. My Bible's on stage. I don't know why I did that to myself. That's okay. It's fine. Proverbs. Psalm. There we go. 180, 70, 50. Aha! 35. A little intermission music. Here we go. Psalm 40. I'm just going to read verse 2. I'm going to leave the rest for you guys because I really want you to go and read Psalm 40, thinking about how it comes directly after Psalm 39. It says in verse 2 of Psalm 40, He lifted me out of the slimy pit, out of the muck and mire. He set my feet on a rock and gave me a firm place to stand. Again, I'm going to leave the rest of that psalm for you guys. I want you to go home and read it. It's awesome. But going from this situation where he wants God to turn his eyes from him, look away from him, forget about him, to this place where he says, God set my feet on the solid rock. God can do that for us, even in our hopeless moments. But recognize that there's opportunity to give thanks, to express our feelings, and to let God know how we're doing in those sad moments. If God didn't want this psalm in his Bible, guess what? It wouldn't be there. It's okay for us to express these sad, these distraught, these depressed emotions. Now don't let your life become those moments. Recognize that God provides hope in them and give him thanks during those hard times. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope that you give us in the trials and tribulations, in the hard times. God, we thank you for the lessons that you might be teaching us during those. Lord, in Psalm 23, it says that you guide us through paths of righteousness for your name's sake. And the very next verse says, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Lord, sometimes you walk us through these hard times because that is the path of righteousness, because that's what's going to make us more like you, because you have a lesson for us in those dark times. And Lord, we thank you for those lessons, and we thank you that you give us hope, that we have the hope of your son, Jesus, who went through the hardest thing of all, who went through taking on all of our sins to reunite us with him, to bring us into his fold, into your family, that we might rejoice, that we might be able to come around the table just like we did this morning in communion with our Savior. In the precious and holy name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.